Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Real-Time Enterprise channel on Vantic TV, our video and podcast series of interviews with thought leaders and practitioners in digital transformation and the real-time enterprise. My name is Blaine Matthew, and I'm Chief Marketing and Product Officer at Vantic. Note that you can reach either myself or the guest by sending a note to realtime at vantic.com, and we will be more than happy to follow up. Joining me today is Cliff Robbins, VP of Technology and Resident Data Scientist at GearForge Software. Cliff is a longtime programmer, engineer, and software architect who learned his leadership skills through eight years in the U.S. Marine Corps. Thanks for the time, Cliff. We're going to have some fun today, I think. I can't wait, and thank you so much for having me here today, Blaine. Great. Well, I know this is going to be a little bit different than many of our other interviews who've been uh, with you know, consultants and, and uh, folks talking at a very high level. As we can tell from the array of IoT devices and sensors and the oscilloscope behind you, you're an actual hands-on practitioner in building IoT systems. That's, that's you're, you've spot on right there, Blaine. I love getting my fingers dirty. I can talk high level, just like uh, many other folks, but, but I like getting my hands on. You can even see it over here, I've got an entire solder station uh, to my right. And, and this is just my tinkering space. I've got a, got a whole workshop in the, the other office section back there. All right, well, maybe at the, at the end of the interview, you can give me a, less, a soldering lesson because I'm horrible <laughs> at soldering. I, I make a mess of anything I try to solder, so let's, <laughs> let's get- Better off just letting someone else mess with it. <laughs> I think you're probably right. I think you're probably right. Well, to start, Cliff, tell us a little more about GearForge, GearForge software. What are they all about? Sure, so GearForge software is really built around the concept of, of how do we take and um, not at just the high level from the IoT standpoint, but how do we actually then uh, help companies implement IoT? Um, and, it's, and it's beyond just IoT, because we also encompass things of, there's typically gonna be some custom software that needs to be brought into it, um, consulting, uh, specifically around technical consulting. And then also, once you have it connected, what do you do after that? Um, and there's a lot of other things too, like your other consultants have probably talked about, you got your legal, you got your pricing, the, the whole big ball of stuff that's all encompassing. And that's, that's really what GearForge focuses on is, is really coming in, assisting firms with trying to understand that and then be able to um, actually have a practical implementation. So it's not just high level fluff. It's like, all right, we've got this, we've defined it, now let's actually build something. Hmm, interesting. And so how did you get to where you are today? Like, how did you get to be the guy who knows how to, how to do this thing you're doing? Oh, sure. Uh, probably a very diverse background. Uh, you'd mentioned earlier the Marine Corps. Well, in the Corps, um, I actually worked on F-18. So I, I did avionics, so, so electronics. So the Corps taught me a ton of electronics uh, and then ended up going into computer science after that. I've always had a heart for electronics. So IoT, of course, is the perfect blend of electronics with computer science, couple that with data science, because I, I love data and understanding the meaning and the story behind the data uh, and how you can actually drive transformation. So you combine all of that, it's the perfect storm. So it's just, it just 
love all of these components. So it, it fit really well uh, to be able to bring them all together. In interesting. Where would you say uh, the market is in terms of its maturity for these solutions? I've been going to IoT conferences, uh, you know, uh, fairly aggressively for a couple of years now. And, and even a couple of years ago, it seemed to me it was always the same examples. It was the uh, same couple of use cases. Even the same companies were, on the were on doing some leading edge stuff. And, uh, and, but mostly it was a science experiment or a POC. And now I see a lot more companies doing real things, obviously with the help of you and, and GearForge. But where do, you, where do you think this overall market is in its maturity cycle? Are we still early days or is it in the mid-market? What's your take? Yeah, so it reminds me uh, of, of uh, back in 2007, 2008 for the mobile um, space. Remember back then it was very early on and most companies were trying to figure out like, hey, um, is this a space that we need to be getting into? And that was really the question. That's really early market, right? Um, so your, your early adopters. Personally, I think from an IoT standpoint and just the overall connectivity and technology standpoint, I think we've we probably moved past a little bit of that early stage. We're not mid. I, I think we're kind of right in that interim space right about there is where I personally think we are because now we're seeing it's like, well, it's not really a, a there are some B2C, but we're seeing that B2B has a lot more opportunity compared to mobile um, in this case for um, some revenue generation. So I think there's a lot of opportunity and value creation from a B2B standpoint. Hmm, interesting. I think uh, you know, a lot of the early buzz around IoT was the B2C devices and the Fitbits yeah. and, all the, and all that kind of stuff. But, but I, I also agree with you. It seems like a lot of the, the, the money and the traction has shifted more to the B2B side. And how can you improve business operations processes with the use of IoT devices? Sounds like you're seeing that too. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting because you're seeing companies that are uh, just, just hardware companies. They're not like manufacturing firms. And now all of a sudden they're technology companies and it's something they've never had to do before, right? I mean, it comes down to even invoicing. They're like, oh, we just sent out an invoice, we get paid back, we got our PO that we charge against, that project's done, we're moving on. Now they're, they're, they're either a platform as a service or a software as a service company and they've got to change their mindset and hire new people to actually even morph into that realm. So it's, it's, a, hmm. it's a big change and it's a real challenge for those leadership teams. Hmm. No, no. Well, it's, that's a good point. Well, let's circle back to the change <laughs> management side, and that's a whole other big topic, right? But and but not to get too strategy geeky, but it, you know, as we I think most folks know in, in technology circles, when you're trying to cross out of that early adopter phase into the mainstream market, you hit something that Jeffrey Moore called the chasm, right? This this yeah. part of the market where. The, the early adopters aren't good reference customers for the mainstream market. The mainstream yeah. market needs to see other mainstream customers using this technology, yes. but there aren't any. It's all these crazy early adopters. Uh, how, do you, how are you feeling that at GearForge? Are you still being approached primarily by you know, early adopter organizations that want to be on the leading edge of IoT or how are you, and it's, it's almost, how are you finding your clients? Or you have to evangelize and teach about the possibilities of IoT? Or, now, or are they finally starting to come to you saying, I know what I want to do, I just can't do it. I need, I need the help of doing it. That's, that's a great question. Um, it's a mixed bag. And, uh, from that standpoint, Blaine, it really is a mixture. So you've got some that they're, they're three years into a project, they are knee deep 
and they don't even realize it's IOT. They just know it's a smart something or other. Right. And they're hitting the wall and they need a technical person to help guide them through the process. And, but we have other folks where we're coming in and we're, we're pitching the idea. They've been to conferences, things like that. They know now it's possible. And so now they're like, how do we capture, how do we turn this into a revenue stream? How do we turn this into a real business? But like you said, they hit here, they're like, um, we have no examples to go off of. Uh, on the side note, we do get calls from folks that are saying, hey, we'd like to do blah, blah, blah. Um, I think you guys can have it done by next month. And we're like, <laughs> no, that's, you're dealing with hardware, software, that's, it's, let's be realistic from a time standpoint. Um, but I think it's, it's interesting now because it's shifted from those very earlies. And now you've got folks that are, just like you said, they're saying, yep, we, we know there's value. We know we can make a business case for this. We need help, though, of getting over that. Because like I said, in many cases, most of these firms, they don't even have a CTO. I mean, typically, uh, they're outsourcing most of their um, server work and everything else because they just have laptops and email and things like that. So they've got a, that's just a service they're outsourcing. They don't have someone that's a technologist to be able to walk them through and actually how to get right. there. Right. And I imagine even, even larger companies, large enterprises yeah. that have significant IT departments still don't have experts in IoT devices and building IoT systems. And you're, you're entirely right. We're talking to, um, I don't know, probably half, the $450 million a manufacturing firm. So it's not a small company by any means. And they, basically their, their internal staff, as far as their technology folks, they knew all about process control and everything else, but that was just factory. I mean, they didn't know anything else of how to actually combine their disparate data sources and be able to start bringing things together to figure out ways for, let's say, putting thing all next to the machines. Or, and like even thinking beyond that of how to turn this into a revenue stream wasn't brought up. But the interesting part is that like, yeah, we get about, uh, I think they have about 13 use cases they just don't know how to actually apply those internally because they're focused so much on their technology stack. And it's like, nope, I've got, this is, and I'm, again, it's the, the, the forest and the, the tree scenario, right? So mm -hmm. they, they can see the tree in front of them, but they can't actually see the entire forest. Hmm. Well, thanks for bringing up use cases because that was where I was going to go next. Are you seeing any commonality in, in use cases across the, your clients or the companies you're working with? And if you have any, any examples, that'd be great. Yeah, so realistically, some of the main ones we're seeing is, is not so much um, cutting the costs per se, but a lot more of how do I create new revenue streams? So I want to hmm. create top line revenue not so much worried about like cutting down uh, on expenses. So we're seeing more so on top line revenue right now. Um, a good example is a, a manufacturing company. They want to create an entire line uh, of monitoring for a particular type of product that they're produced. So, but they don't know how to get there, right? Um, very, very sharp. They've got engineers and everything, very, very intelligent individuals, but they don't know how to do this other piece. Uh, and so one of the big things we're telling is like, hey, when it comes to hardware, just prototyping and sourcing and getting demos and everything else, it's going to take time. It's, this is not something that you're going to have done next week. We're, we're estimating at least a year to two years of just getting your hardware prototype nailed out. And um, what is the use case in this? Is it a smart, um, like a manufacturing line or what, what is? Uh, yeah, so this is actually a, a monitoring system for a particular line of product that they produce. Okay. What they're going to do is they're able to monitor this across the board uh, for others even. 
and be able to predict failures based off of what they're seeing. So um, essentially being able to use um, some machine learning, things like that upstream um, mm. to be able to do that. The problem, of and course, have no Perhaps to that. enable a real-time field service use case. Yep, yep. well, it's, it's, it's across the board. So they can say, yep, now take that item out of service. Either we can come in or your own technicians can come in and fix this, but they're gonna right. provide the monitoring of that. Hmm. But you can't scale that from a human standpoint, so it's gotta be a technological. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's interesting you, you say that creating new revenue streams is, is sort of the value that you're seeing for many of these yeah. scenarios with your clients. Because I was at an IDC conference three, four months ago where they were talking about uh, their research data on, on IoT projects. And they actually found that most of the early projects were more about cost savings. <laughs> and I wonder if that's because if you're doing an IoT project with your internal IT group, they're very focused, you know, the internal groups are very focused on optimization and IT sure. is always focused on, on cost management and, and yeah. trying to squeeze more out of the stone. Whereas if they're bringing in an outside expert like you, it's for the reason that they want to do something new. They want to do something transformative, generate new revenue. I'm just theorizing here, but yeah, I think, but, I think you, you know, know. Just something that makes total sense to me because internally they're like, Oh, we can kind of figure this out. But, yeah, you get to a certain point and, and a lot of them, uh, they're like, nope, we need to bring someone else in. Just, we just don't have the expertise. Hmm, hmm. Interesting. So, yeah, yeah. So any other common use cases you're seeing? So we got the, app, the uh, machine monitoring, enabling a real, some kind of field service application, uh, predictive maintenance. What else? Anything else? Yeah, so we got a fun project we're doing right now, um, and it's a vending machine. So it's not, not, not a beer vending machine or anything like that, trust me, but it's, it's totally different. Uh, again, a lot of these I can't, I've, I've got NDAs <laughs> and they've got patents and everything else that they're working on, but it's, it's pretty wicked uh, vending machine that they're working on for a very large franchise in the United States here. Um, and a lot of it's driven because of the current employment scenario. They just, they can't hire people. Hmm. Um, so they're like, we've got to come up with an alternative and they're like, well, Let's build a vending machine for this. And I was like, all right, let's do this. So it's been a really fun project um, for that one uh, mm. because they, they came to me and said, well, we've got, and they tried to go as far as they could with a model. And so they said, here's this, can you make this work? And so I started working on it with, uh, with, a, with a machinist and more of an industrial design individual. And I was like, I don't know about the design that you have here. I think we're gonna to have to tweak some of this stuff. So we ended up having to tweak quite a bit of basically everything they brought us. <laughs> yeah. uh, and had to redo uh, a lot of it, almost all of it actually, um, just because it just didn't fit essentially from a prototype standpoint, once you actually built the actual vending machine, yeah. um, it just didn't work. It's, it's like, that doesn't work. And then, then once you actually automate that um, with more, and a lot of folks will bring you like an Arduino or something like that. It's like, well, actually, we need something a little bit more industrial than just a liberal, like a normal Arduino. Those are great for prototyping. Um, but there's a lot of issues when it comes to actually, you don't want to put that in production. Hmm. So I, I would highly recommend more of a, an industrial style um, uh, microprocessor or something like that. And then we've got a lot of them where you can still leverage uh, the similar Ar uh, Arduino type uh, programming and things like that. Um, but it's industrial. So I think that's mm. one of the key things too. So that's what, a, that's what a really fun project. Yeah. Hearing you tell that story reminds me of actually just a couple episodes ago, we interviewed the CEO of Hoplite Power, who was actually the first Vantic client. 
Nice. And they have a series of vending machines across New York State and soon expanding around the U.S. for actually uh, vending battery battery packs for cell phones. Sure, that's perfect. So, yeah, use your, you know pull it, put in your credit card, dial in on the kiosk. You get a little battery pack that you can take with you. You don't have to leave yep. your phone plugged in. You can take it with you. And so managing the real-time state of these machines, the batteries as they're being charged or, or taken off and, and returned maybe even somewhere else, all that done in real time. And he was describing to me, uh, you know, the, the process they went through to get from their prototype up to <laughs> one. And they're about to launch V2, but sounds very similar yeah. to what you're talking about here, yeah. you know? Yeah, because it, 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 there's a lot involved in, yes. in that. And you're like, all right, we know consumers are probably going to try to wreck this thing on top of that. So how do you... How do you how do you balance that piece too? Yeah, yeah, really, really cool. All right, so what do you, what have you seen in the real world? I guess as some of the main barriers to success for IoT projects. What are yeah. what are tripping companies up? What are slowing them down? I think I think some of the biggest problems that we see is really they're trying to get too grandiose at, at times. It's like, yeah, we're going to do all of this. Well, my personal opinion is you need to narrow it back down. Um, and try to do a proof of concept. I mean, that's no different than if you're bringing another product to market or something like that. You need to validate your audience and all the other business factors and marketing factors first um, before you get there. And in many cases, you can almost test some of this stuff prior to doing it. It's more that lean type model that you might go after. Um, so I really would focus on, let's try to do more of a prototype or smaller scale um, just to get it out there. Because otherwise, you can, you're going to dump a ton of cash in this. And this is no different than then bring out any other product line. Right. So don't, don't right. think of it as like, oh my gosh, we have to do this. Bring it back down, prototype it, leverage those lean mechanics. Um, that's probably the biggest thing. This goes back to that chasm that you're talking about is yeah. a lot of them think like they've got to have all of this when really it's like, well, we need about this much to validate the idea. Yeah. So let's start with that first. Oh, and that's back to your vending machine example we were both talking about. Guarantee you're going to do it wrong the first time. 100%. Or not optimally in any case. Yeah. So you might as well, so start small, do it fast, learn a bunch, and then, you know, and then go bigger, right? Exactly. You know there's going to be V2 and 3, so don't, I mean, you're not trying to build the Cadillac here. Let's get it so we can get a functioning system, make it so it looks good. I mean, packaging still is really important, but under the covers, maybe you have to have a service guy come out there a little bit more often to make sure things are running appropriately. Right. I got some metrics right. coming back, but you, you're going to be building in additional things. Yeah. All right. So starting too big, starting with too big a vision is barrier number one. What, what else, are, else are you seeing as barriers to success in IoT projects? Yeah, I think um, the other part is really just finding individuals um, that can actually do everything that needs to be done. So talent uh, yep. in this marketplace is part of the, the second biggest most talent that we're seeing right now. Um, employment in, in general. I mean, trying to find an engineer just right now is such a tough marketplace. Um, so that's what we're actually hearing is the, the bigger, second barrier of biggest beyond kind of that scope yeah. is really just talent, actually. Yeah, and thus you started Gearforge to help uh, <laughs> address that, is that yes, issue. Yes, and that's helpful, but I mean, yeah, that's, yeah. that's a really big, big problem a lot of folks are facing. It's like, yep, we want to do this, but we can't even find people to... Yeah. Well, I know what you're talking about is not just self-promotional because prior to this interview in my notes, what I wrote as my thought starters for the main barriers were complexity, 
which relates to your starting too big and then knowledge, which yeah. relates to your comment about talent. So literally my two thoughts and your two were identical on this. Well, and I think that's what you're seeing uh, like yourself with Vantic, you're seeing a platform that's geared to help making it easy, right? Um, you can dive deep under the covers and get into the guts of it, but really, uh, even if you look at Amazon or Azure, both of those are really trying to make systems that are a bit more simplistic to be able to get that information in. And we're still, I mean, those are still maturing at this point and there's still a lot. We could dive deep into the tech side of issues with that, but um, yeah, there's still, still a lot of those pieces to get those sorted out. Yeah. Well, and then you add the complexity that this is a mix of hardware and oh. software. So most of the, you know, discussions we've had on Vantic TV have been sort of uh, shifted more toward the software side of technology, talking about, uh, you know, AI and machine learning and real-time applications and, and those kind of things. But IoT clearly brings hardware into the mix, you know, as again, well, as judged by the, the shelves uh, sitting behind you. I can tell you, like hardware, we've got, again, I'm going to quote another client here. Again, I'm not going to say who they are, even what industry, because the example is it's pretty scary here. But <laughs> they, we had told them, like, we got brought in as a technical consultant because they were really struggling on bringing things together and came in like, oh, my gosh, there's a lot here. We, and they had overpromised as far as delivery is concerned. And we said, do not deliver. That is, you should not be delivering this product to your client right now. Um, based off of where you're at, you've done zero testing as far as environmental concerns and everything else. They went ahead and delivered against ours. We actually explicitly said, we're just calling this out. If you deliver, we are like, we are really concerned about overall safety of the device. It ended up catching on fire. At the client's location. <laughs> what was the client name? <laughs> Don't worry about it. So they yeah. pulled it back um, and and read going through all of this, um, and still still now we're getting better. But I'd say we're probably we're probably moving out of alpha, and moving into beta, and, and we're having problems with like IC, IC uh, excuse me I two C buses where we're, we're getting crashes and exceptions, and it causes the entire thing to just stop working. Uh, snares where they didn't anticipate that they needed more memory in their actual chips. So now they've had to upgrade their chipset. And, and because of the way they had structured the board, they no longer have I2C, they have to use serial communication. So uh, really some struggles around all of this because they didn't actually try any type of testing of the hardware. And the person doing the, the hardware didn't even have one of the products. They were shipping it back to the factory and, and, and it was all, it's like, oh my gosh, you've got to like really bring this back together. Well, we have just uh, managed to scare everybody off from doing an IoT project, <laughs> and we might as well end the podcast now. Sorry about that, Blade. <laughs> it's just when it comes to hardware, it's it's you ship it out. It's not like software, right? You put it to the cloud. Oh, a bug, fix it. I'm done. Hardware, you ship that. It's in the client's hands now. It's 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 a yeah. lot. It's much much more difficult. Are we getting to a point where standardization is starting to kick in on the hardware side, you know, or whether I'm talking messaging protocols like MQTT and other standards or, uh, or is it still all over the place? Every manufacturer's got their own way of getting data out of the device or out of the sensor and, and it's a free for all. Where, where are we on that, on that spectrum yeah, think, versus some level of standardization consolidation? Yeah, I think we're still early stages. I mean, yeah. it's nice. We see, we see standards starting to rise up, 
um, but it still is very early, just like you said with MQTT. Um, even beyond that, just trying to discern um, which protocol you should use for um, transmitting information, right? I mean, our, our cellular carriers are still trying to determine which technology they plan on rolling out, which means Sprint, AT&T, and T-Mobile. So the, the large players are still sorting through that. Um, I think I'd like to see the process control industry come into this a little bit more. They've already got some really strong IEE standards that I think they can apply. Um, and I think they're, they'll eventually get there. I think they're just more concerned about market share pulling away from lots of PLCs and things like that. Hmm. Interesting. And that's actually probably a good segue into <laughs> your thoughts on 5G and, and MEC multi-access edge computing. And uh, what, what's your general thought on the impact that will have on, on the whole IoT ecosystem and how soon that might have an impact or maybe it already is? Yeah, I'm really, really excited about the edge computing side. I think, I think we've got to get there. Um, if I remember correctly, I just... I guess so many, as you can see, I've got a lot of devices back here. Um, Azure just told me they've got one of their edge devices actually. So I think it gets delivered this week. So even, even Microsoft is working on the edge type stuff. I, I, you've got to have the edge computing because you know fundamentally that sending everything back without doing some sort of calculations or some sort of machine learning at the device um, or the, 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 actual send, uh, the actual component you have to have that. So it's, it's one of those where we're not quite there yet. Mm -hmm. They're realizing we need that because you will lose connectivity uh, from that standpoint. As far as the, the 5G, I think that's going to be great. It's really more of the lower level um, bandwidth that I'm really interested in. The problem with a lot of those is the pricing model is still really freaking costly. Right. Um, 10 bucks a month. Because most clients now are just saying, all right, I'm just going to get a $10 SIM card per month. They're like, that's great. Now what happens when you got a thousand of these devices rolled out? You're still yeah. going to pay 10 bucks a month? That seems excessive to me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, let's shift to something that almost always makes its way into IoT related videos and that's augmented reality. So there's inevitably a video of a technician wearing a headset and, and then the devices are spewing off data and everybody got, has got their video. I've seen these so many times. Are you, you know, are you involved in any or even potentially touching any projects that are there yet? Or where do you, you know, where do you see that fitting in? <laughs> so I don't know. Is this a, a so I'll, I'll give you my two cents on what I think about augmented reality. Okay. Um, and then, then I'll touch on that. So I think there's two great applications for augmented reality. Not that I personally use either one of these, but um, games and porn. Those are, I think, your two spots for augmented reality right now are your, your best use cases um, with regards to what you're describing. Uh, so see that, see that, like the hard hat back there uh -huh. that goes with the safety glasses and the boots. I can't imagine actually a technician going into a mining facility with one of these augmented reality headsets. I don't know if they've actually went into the field and actually tested these things out. Because if you actually would go into a mining facility, that's not going to work. I, I just, I don't even say how you're going to actually make that function in a real site. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's what I struggle with real life as far as that's concerned. Um, 
sure, I can see how they walk up to a copier and maybe try to sort through that, but I'm putting a bet that your technician that's been on the job for 15 years can probably diagnose it a lot faster. Yeah. Well, that's, that's right. I think with a, in a mining, in a mine, you gave the worst case scenario <laughs> use case, I think, right? But it's right? a real scenario. <laughs> well, it, it is. I was actually at a field, at the Field Service USA event a couple of weeks ago, and uh, there was a lot of augmented reality vendors in there selling mostly hardware solutions to connect up to right. software and IoT devices. And, uh, and in the discussion I had with them, a lot of it actually was about the culture. It's not about the technology not working. I put on some of these hard hats with integrated eyepieces and, and yeah, it works. It actually works. But convincing a, you know, a 55-year-old tech service tech who's been doing it one way for the last 30 years to then do it the new way, that's the hard part, actually. Yeah, it's for a culture change. that hard hat and it'll get broken in day one. Like, oh, looks like the equipment was <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no, it's it's a it is. I've just been to the real factory floor many a times, and yeah, I, I yeah. struggle. And, and I, and you're probably right. It's more so culture. I would entirely agree. Um, rather than trying to get, I mean, because a lot of them are okay with technology. It's just the culture of it, right? I, I entirely agree with you on that point. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. It's it's it is really interesting. Well, I was at that same conference. I was talking to. I probably shouldn't say the name. Uh, but I was talking to uh, a senior guy at one of the largest aircraft uh, engine manufacturers in the world. And you sure. can guess uh, what company that probably is. And we always hear about this notion of air engines as a service and all the IoT data that the engines are throwing off. Yep. And he basically said, yeah, those engines are throwing off a lot of data, but are we actually doing anything with it? Not really yet. No. No. We're not, we don't have a bunch of technicians on the ground waiting with their, with their mobile devices, sense, sensing what the engine is doing as it's landing, ready to tweak something. No, they're getting old-fashioned service reports and, and pulling data out of a database just like they've been doing for the last 20 years. So we definitely have a ways to go in realizing the potential of these things. Yep, entirely agree. Yeah, it was actually a little bit disappointing. We were at, at the, you know, around the table sharing our stories. And after the guy from this two-letter well-known company told this, we all sort of went, oh. <laughs> you know, like, we wanted you to live up to some of these fancy videos you're putting out, but the reality isn't quite there yet. But at the same time, on a more hopeful note, they know they have to get there. And, and a lot of it is about solving the complexity challenge. And, and you know, it's, it's not easy to do this stuff. And you need experts and you need tools and systems, both hardware and software, that can do it more quickly and easily than today. Exactly. So, and, you know, and the hard part is, just like you're mentioning, it's got to be part of that role or that part of that job. It shouldn't, it shouldn't be a burden, essentially. Otherwise, you can have right. such a barrier to entry when it comes down right. to work with Right yeah, it, it really goes back to the, the empathy and how do, we, how do we best approach that. Yeah, yeah. All right, well, let's wrap it up. I always ask our guests if there's one element of conventional wisdom that they'd like to call bullshit on, where they think <laughs> most of the market is going uh, you know, west and, and you think it's actually east. So what's an area of conventional wisdom you think you're, you, you're uh, contrarian? Well, uh, we already touched on augmented reality and where, okay. where that's going. So I'll, I'll take another one. What... what so almost every time I hear IoT, it's IoT and blockchain, right? Hmm. I so totally believe that blockchain is way overrated at this point. 
I personally feel like blockchain has some very specific value propositions, but tying it back to IoT every single time seems ridiculous to me. Um, I don't think they, they always go hand in hand. I know a couple different companies that are trying to make this work. I think it's really interesting what they're trying to do. Um, but I, I just, I think we've gotten a bit overblown when it comes to blockchain at this point. Well, you know, the funny thing about you saying blockchain is probably a third of our guests say blockchain. <laughs> true, true. So the other two thirds, you know, a wide range of topics, but a third say blockchain. So that tells you something about the state of blockchain in tech markets today, you know? Well, I've looked at the tech, I'm like, all right, yes, there are some use cases and things like that, but saying that it goes that far across the entire span is ridiculous to me. There's other opportunities, other ways to do it um, without as much overhead. Yeah, yeah you're right, right on. All right, well, let's wrap it up. What are some key takeaways or tips you would give to a business leader that's trying to drive this kind of IoT-based real-time transformation of her business? Yeah, I think that's a great question. Um, really, it's, it's number one, uh, look internally for a project, right? Find someone where, where internally you can do that and then get your executive or, or whoever's passionate, uh, no different than any other project to champion that. So you're really going to focus on a smaller kind of scale prototype project, validate that, get the individuals behind it, and then you can start growing from there. So that, that would be my biggest takeaway when it comes to this. Right on. Great advice. Well, Cliff, that wraps it. Thanks so much for chatting with me today. This has been a great conversation. Truly fantastic to speak to a real practitioner in, you know, who's in the field making this future happen. So thank you so much. Thank you so much. I really am grateful for being here. You're welcome. And those interested in hearing more about Cliff's thoughts can check out his, his IoT weekly podcast on gearforgesoftware.com. And you can reach out to me anytime at realtimeadvantic.com. If you would like to subscribe to the podcast version of The Real-Time Enterprise, search for The Real-Time Enterprise on iTunes or SoundCloud. And if you are already listening to the podcast version of The Real-Time Enterprise, please leave a rating or comment and let us know how you are enjoying the show.